Welcome to Broadway World, something like a pop podcast. I am Matt Tamanini, Broadway World senior TV and film critic, and as always, I'm joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and Resident Contest winner, Jennifer McHugh. You can follow Jen on Twitter at EpineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and you can follow me at B-W-W-M-A-T-T, and you can read us both across various Broadway World sites. And you can now follow Some Like It Pop on Twitter at S-L-I-P Podcast. Jen and I have been trying to do a little bit more there, retweeting some stuff, you know, talking a little bit, so there's a little bit of extra content there, so check us out at S-L-I-P Podcast. Not only can you get all episodes of Some Like It Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also get new episodes downloaded automatically via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Also, if you don't hate us, rate and review the show so that I have something to cheer me up after losing yet another predictions pool. On this episode, we're going to talk about Jordan Peele's directorial debut in the sociological horror film Get Out, the new NBC real crime mockumentary sitcom Trial and Error, Jen and my recent experiences with Broadway national tours, and we will do another round of rapid-fire recommendations, and per the usual, we will close the episode with a little show and tell. But first, Jen, as is becoming commonplace in our awards show picks, you again have bested me, this time in our annual Oscars pool. In the major categories that we also included some of our Broadway World colleagues and some Broadway and TV stars, um, you beat me 9-8 to eight out of 11 predictions. But in the total score, where you and I went head-to-head on some more of the technical categories, you beat me 16-13 to 13 out of 24 award categories. Worth noting that Cesar Samoya, who is one of the stars of the new Broadway musical Come From Away, which opened this past uh, Sunday, technically won the main competition out of the 11. He had 9.5 points, besting you by a half point, because he picked La La Land to win in the best song category but didn't mention a song, so I figured, like, he got it half right. We could probably quibble about that either way, but you did beat me head-to-head. Anyway, our bet was that the winner would choose a season of TV that the loser would have to watch, even though it was not something that he or she, he, uh, would normally be into watching. So, Jen, without further ado, what season of TV will I be suffering through at your very victorious and hopefully not too mean-spirited hands well i mean you know it's hard to decide because do i make you suffer as i enjoy to do knowing how you cringe at awkward comedies or do i do you a favor and light a fire under you for things that you've put off watching until now that's that's an interesting decision and and an interesting thing you've got to make a decision on jen it's a, you know, my own personal Sophie's choice. But um, because I am a TV junkie and I consider myself a nice person, even if I don't care for you very much, I do Fair. think you need to watch certain shows that you have put off for so long. So I'm going to take the moral high ground and force you to watch things you've put off for way too long. Okay. In that realm, I was torn between two. That I know you've never watched and that you it's a, it's sinful that you've never watched them. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea which two I'm speaking of? Um, one, I'm going to guess, is Breaking Bad. And mm-hmm. the, other, the other, I'm going to guess, is The Walking Dead. That is incorrect. The oh. other is Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. We talked about that this week. Yeah. That, that one I have at least a little defense is that like it came out when I was just out of, like it started the year I came out of college. So I was like living in Chicago and I didn't really have like a whole, like there was no DVR. I didn't really have a lot of TV watching time cause I was working a lot, but you're right. It is something that's one of those pop culture, especially dork pop culture that I enjoy uh touchstones. So, okay. So where are we going from there? 
So I feel like between the two of them, you know, obviously you can't compare and contrast. They're so different. So I'm literally just going to go by chronology and assign you to watch the first season of Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Do you have any idea how that is available streaming wise? Do you know if it's on um, Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime so that if anyone wants to follow along and watch with me, they can do so as well? So it's on Hulu, so we can stream it and watch it. And then, I don't know if it necessarily needs to be in every episode, but every once in a while we can check in and see um, if it's something that's lived up to the hype or um, hasn't held up over time. Okay. So it started um, in 2003 with, looks like, two mini-series episodes, because this obviously, uh, most people know, um, is based on an older TV show from like the 70s or the 80s or something, um, the original Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if this is like a remake or a reboot or a continuation sequel, so I'll have to look into that. Um, but just so everyone knows, all four seasons, it looks like, yeah, all four seasons of Battlestar Galactica are on Hulu. Um, it's 78 episodes in all if you want to watch uh, the whole thing along with us. So uh, this is exciting. Okay, so Jen, do we want to put like a, a time period on this if we're going to talk about it? Like, Maybe get the uh, the first season is a total of, of 15 episodes, including those first two hour and a half um, uh, long episodes. Do we want to put, like, say, let's watch the first five or six in this amount of time or anything like that so we know we get to the same point to talk about it? Well, how about we um, talk about it again in April and we'll see how far you've gotten. I would at least expect okay. you to get through the first two uh, movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so we can at least talk about that. Sounds good. I would also like credit because I could have been a real dick right now and I'm choosing the moral high ground for the love of television. Well, and also we did say when we did this that we weren't going to go out of our way to make it something that we know the other person would abhor. But we wanted to do something that would maybe not force, but give them the opportunity to watch something that they might not normally, but that we thought they would like. Like, to be honest, I was going to probably have you watch the first season of The Flash because I know that's not exactly your speed, but I think you would enjoy it. Not your it's... speed. What? You said it's not your speed. But I'm ching. But it, <laughs> that's really good. Um, but it's fun and it's frivolous and it has Jesse L. Martin, who I know that, you know, as the, the rent head that you are, that, that you could always enjoy a little bit. So, all right. So Battlestar Galactica and also St. Patrick's Day is coming up. So that means I've got to post a, a picture of me wearing something. Another dame related on uh, the 17th. So stick to my Twitter at Matt to see me pay off that Emmy loss as well. Very excited. Go Irish. Jen, now we're going to move on to talking about one of the most surprising and in many, many ways films that I can remember in a long time. You have been talking about this film for quite a while when it was just kind of like that first trailer uh, before we really knew a ton about it, but it is Jordan Peele's new horror film, Get Out. Peele, one half of the Peabody Award-winning comedy team, Key and Peele, has written and directed this movie that is nothing like what we expected either from Key and Peele, the TV show, 
or from Keanu, uh, the first movie that that he wrote. This is his directorial debut, and it follows a black photographer from New York City named Chris as he goes to meet his white girlfriend Rose's family in a swanky New England enclave. Chris is played by Daniel Kaluuya, and Rose is played by erstwhile Peter Pan Allison Williams. Her parents are played by the always phenomenal Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener. Also in the film are Lil Rel Howery from The Carmichael Show, Caleb Landry-Jones, Betty Gabriel, Marcus Henderson, the fantabulous Stephen Root, and more. As of this moment, the film, which only cost $4.5 million to make, has brought in nearly $96 million at the domestic box office, having been the number one film in the country, um, I think, for two weeks, maybe at least one week. Um, that's a fantastic um, accomplishment for a film of this size. Anyone who has seen the commercials or the trailers know that at some point in Chris's trip to meet Rose's family, he realizes that something is a little off about these people. They do go out of their way to be accepting and welcoming to him. But it never just feels right. Jen, I wanted to first talk about the film and its execution and generalities and avoiding spoilers because if any listeners haven't seen it, I hope that maybe we can talk about it and convince them to check it out. Then we can get into some more of the specific details later. So listeners, uh, we will warn you before we start spoiling anything. So Jen, we are recording on Saturday, March 11th, and you just saw the film today, correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, Literally ended two hours ago. Okay. So, now having seen it, you had a bunch of work commitments that kept you from the movie theater in the first two weeks that the film was open. Now that you've seen it, how are you feeling about Get Out? Listen, this word is used so frequently now that it's probably lost all meaning, if only because Apple abuses it. But Jordan (laughs) Peele is a genius. (laughs) I don't know. Where did this come from in his mind? And... You said, I don't know if I completely agree that it's a horror movie. I would categorize it more as a thriller with some gore. But it's also really, really funny. (laughs) And I don't know. It just, it's so, for lack of a better word, original. It's just surprising and fun and exciting. And I just enjoyed every second of it. He was an idol before, but now he's a hero. And not all heroes Mm -hmm. wear capes, Matt. (laughs) <laughs> so, so I've heard um, Yeah, it's definitely not a horror movie In the jump scare variety um, But I listened to Jordan Peele's interview With Chris Hardwick on the Nerdist podcast And he is a horror diehard Him and Chris Hardwick both are And he said some of the films that really inspired him For this were The Shining Because it's at this big house And it kind of feels very claustrophobic Despite the size But then also The Stepford Wives The original not the ridiculous uh, Nicole Kidman remake and A Clockwork Orange. So those type of horror films that are very much psychological more than like Freddy Krueger is going to haunt your dreams kind of horror films. But yeah, there is some moments of humor. I didn't find it super uh, like laugh out loud funny. There are a few things with uh, uh, Lil Rel, uh, Howry, and and his character works for the uh, TSA, which is always really funny. But, Jen, I just found this so smart. I mean, it, it talks about so many different things that aren't the focus of major art. I was going to say major motion pictures, but, I mean, really, art a whole lot is not about some of the, the things that this character goes through. Now, Jen, full disclosure, you and I are both white people, so there are things that probably we 
didn't spoiler alert. Pick, yeah, spoiler. Right. I just want to make sure everybody was aware that we are both white people. <laughs> um, but you know, there are definitely some things that I think that didn't resonate with me as well as I think probably some um, some people of color who go to see it would would pick up on. But one thing that I found super rewarding with this film is that both Jordan Peele's direction and Daniel Kaluuya's acting made you understand the uncomfortableness that he goes through throughout the film from when it was even before he gets to the home, just when he's talking with Rose about, hey, do your parents know I'm black? Like, that's a question that I imagine is asked in every interracial relationship. Um, Rose, played by Alison Williams, says, why, should, why would I have to tell them? Why do they need to know? And, you know, for you and me as white people, we're like, yeah, love is love. You don't need, that's not a big deal. That doesn't matter. But I imagine for people of color, that is like, that is a big deal. Like it, the, 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 just the generational racism and, and all that stuff, that probably plays a big deal. So there are definitely things that I don't think that I would have gotten as much out of as somebody who had lived this life, but the direction and the acting was so good. I, I understood it, even though it's not something that I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. But also, I mean, that's a good point that he he illustrated, you know, that she was so adamant, like, my parents aren't racist, like, they love Obama, like, they're so, you know, friendly towards everybody. Her dad would have voted for him for a third term. Well, who wouldn't have? (laughs) And um, so... But then when she gets there and she sees it through his eyes, all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, and I do that sometimes, too, where you're talking to people about people you've known all your life. And they're like, they're not racist. And then you you take a step back and you're like, actually, that was probably inappropriate. (laughs) So when you look at it with like a more objective standpoint. So I thought he illustrated that so perfectly. And um, and you mentioned Lil Ray Howard from uh, Howry from The Carmichael Show, who I thought was a scene stealer. I mean, yeah. his care, he was so great. And, um, I thought that him and the dog Sid were the biggest scene stealers for me. <laughs> well, and what was really funny is, is that in horror movies and, and I'm going to keep calling it a horror movie. You, I think your point is well taken that it's really not like a traditional horror film, but this is how Jordan Peele describes it. He describes it as a horror movie, but it, in traditional horror movies, it's the black guy that normally gets sacrificed first and, you know, it, it's interesting to see Rod, the character that Lil Rel plays, he's the one from the very beginning who's like, dude, something ain't right. This is not normal. Get out, literally, the, the name of the, the film. He's the one saying, look, something's not right here. This is weird. Something's going on. You need to leave. From the trailer and the commercials, we know that there is some sort of element of, of hypnosis going on. Catherine Keener's character um, who's Rose's mother. She's a psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever, and she does some sort of hypnosis. And we know that there are some other black people in this community, and they're not exactly right. They're not functioning like they should be. And that's where we think a lot of this comes from, which plays into the analogy that Peel has made about the Stepford Wives. There is so much more to it going on there, um, which I want to talk about when we get into the spoilers. But there's there's a lot of, of subtle nuances in this film talking about cultural appropriation, you know, that I think if you go in thinking that this is just a it's just a horror thriller movie, I think you get a lot out of it. If you go into it thinking, you know what, this is more of a social satire with horror movie tropes, I think you get even more. And this is a movie that 
Jen, you just saw it today. I've only seen it once, but this is one that I want to go back and see again because I think like there's so many layers. As you said, Peel has proven himself to be a genius with this film, and there are so many different layers and different things that I think you'll pick up on upon multiple viewings. I agree, and because it's such a you know it, layers are revealed one at a time. You know, you're trying to catch up. You're trying to figure out what's going on. That by the time you figure out what's going on. Now you want to go back and be like, okay, now I want to see all the little Easter eggs leading up to this. And so I think a second viewing, if not a third, would be worth it just to see. I'm sure that there's more levels that we didn't even notice because we were looking for, like, what is exactly going on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this is a point where we're going to go in and, and talk about some spoilers in the film. So skip ahead, check the show notes. I'll put when we come back to talk about trial and error uh, next, but before we do that, if you haven't seen Get Out, see it. This is one of those things that you can't really go to a party without talking about because it is really everywhere in pop culture right now. Um, this is the film to see, so I highly, 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 highly recommend that everybody go check out this uh, film. I think it's going to be in the theaters for a while because we're kind of in that dead period before the summer movies kick off, but go out and see it as quickly as you can because it is something you are going to want to talk about. Okay, so spoiler warning. Three, two, one. Okay, so Jen, I kind of alluded to this a minute ago. In the trailers, we know that there's some sort of hypnosis going on, and the black characters are not, um, they're not normal. There's something off about them. That is where we stand through the majority of the film. But we get to a point at the end, of, like towards the end of the film, we realize not only are the African-American characters there hypnotized, but they've been lobotomized and only a shred of their previous personality is still there. And instead, their brains have been replaced by the brains of old white people who have literally bought them at auction and then taken over their bodies. That is a twist that I did not see coming. That is a twist that I think adds so much depth and an even more... Um, uh, social awareness to this film that it just went from a really good movie to being a brilliant social commentary for me. Did you have any inclination as to that's what was going on? I didn't. And um, my, I never go see thrillers or horror movies because it just aggravates my anxiety too much. And I only went to this because it's Jordan Peele. So I was so like, my reaction to thrillers is your reaction to awkward comedies. Like I can't deal with them. Fair. So I was so like cringing and like covering my face. Like, Oh my God, I just want this to be over that. I didn't really figure it out until she said <laughs> grandma <laughs> at the very oh, end. <laughs> it, wait, what? It took you that long? Yes. They literally were taking Stephen Root's brain yeah, out of his head yeah, to put it in. Yeah. No. I was still piecing it together and hiding. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's understandable. I'm, but, you know, I'm so cringy with thrillers. Like I can't, I can't handle the like, um, you know, in the one point when he's walking downstairs. First of all, just when you're walking through empty houses, it just makes me crazy. And then um, Georgia, Georgia just walked Georgina. by and like, and the music yeah. just flashes, and you're like, oh yeah. god, I can't deal with it. I just can't. That was one of the two kind of jump scares in the film, and that was pretty early on. Um, but the, the you know the the moment when they're like, "Hey, Chris and Rose are going to go take a walk in the woods." That's fine. We're going to go play our annual bingo game, and then they do this kind of like 
this cross-section cut between their walk and then them at their quote-unquote bingo game. And it's literally these old white people holding up bingo cards at a silent auction. Not like a silent auction where you sign something, but literally Bradley Whitford is running an auction where people are holding up bingo cards to purchase Chris's body. It, I mean, it just made my skin crawl with all of the slavery um you know, the allegories to, to slavery. And then, you know, Stephen Root, who is a character um, that ends up purchasing uh, Chris, he is a blind art dealer. And Chris, as we said at the beginning, is a photographer, apparently a pretty good one. And Stephen Root wants to purchase his body so that he can have his eye. And and that's the, cult, the that cultural appropriation thing where they're purchasing these African-American, these black people, because there is something about them that they couldn't get as a normal, as the white person that they were. That ties in very much to the the, the gardener, who is, is Walter, played by Marcus Henderson, that we learn, like you mentioned, Georgina is really Rose's grandmother. Walter's really Georgina's grandfather. The other jump scare in the movie is when Chris goes out to have a cigarette, and Walter just comes back bolting out of the woods, running right at him, then runs around him in a dead sprint. We don't know what the heck that is. When you realize that that's actually Bradley Whitford's father, Bradley Whitford told a story early in the film that his father was beaten out to go to the Olympic Games by Jesse Owens. And he was beat out to go to the Olympics by a black man. He can't beat him. Jesse Owens goes on to be one of the greatest track stars, one of the greatest athletes in American history. And he becomes a black man so he can have that athletic ability it just it just opened up so many weird levels that i still think i'm kind of turning over in my head yeah this was definitely one of those movies where it ends and you're like son of a bitch and then i just like walked to the car and driving home like i didn't even put music on i was just kind of like in a daze like thinking of everything and i'd never even made the connection with jesse owens i really need to watch it again and um also i i think that and this is probably goes without saying but there's probably a mentality with people that we would rather remain nameless, like that they think, well, slavery, you know, that was just one point in time. It could never happen again. And here's Jordan Peele saying, oh, you think that these crazy rich white folks won't find a way to make this happen again? Here's an example. <laughs> and it's yeah, extreme yeah. and it's, you know, exaggerated. But yeah. Here's an example of what people with disposable incomes would do. So the fact that these old, rich, white people still find a way to make young black people disposable, I think, speaks volumes, especially in the political climate and the world we're living in right now. Yeah, and I think there's something about that specifically that really, I think, was Again, we're going to use brilliant and genius and overuse it, but I think it was really brilliant that they cast Bradley Whitford as the the dad and kind of the head of this ridiculous operation. Because for many people of your and my generations of us white, you know, fairly educated liberals, we look at Bradley Whitford as one of the beacons of, of American liberalism because of the West Wing. And I think that that so plays into it that you and I because of our white privilege, we are part of the institutional racism that 
people of color, African Americans and Hispanics and, and Asian Americans, all these people go through on a daily basis that we probably don't even understand. I mean, the fact that they make it a point that Bradley Whitford's character really goes out of his way to welcome Chris. I think you and I probably do that as well. We well, you know, we welcome people of color with open arms, but there's still that underlying thing that we can't overcome just because of who we are. And I think there's so many great levels and I love this film. And I got to say, Allison Williams is creepy as fuck in this movie after we kind of get the reveal that she's in on it. That scene at the end where she is scouring the internet for her next black conquest and she's eating Fruit Loops one by one and drinking milk. It was so discomforting and so disquieting that I like had chills because it was so damn creepy. I was more creeped out when she was acting on the phone that she was distraught, but she had a blank facial expression like she had done this hundreds of times. Mm. And it turns out um, she probably has. And she has. Like we learned that. But also – um, I thought it was a great thing to showcase that, you know, I think we're kind of spoiled in thinking, you know, you see all these young white people who have these opinions and these racist views. And, you know, sometimes you go to college and you grow up and you, you learn different things and you meet different people. But there are is a huge segment of the population that literally just this is how I was raised. This is how I will follow it. And I will never change my mind because I would never dishonor my family. Like, that's just such a important part of our country that is scary. And I think that is a perfect way to describe this film. So if you haven't seen Get Out, please, please, please check it out. Um, it is, it's not only just a great film, like it's an expertly made film, um, but I think it's really important. And I, I think it is the beginning of a remarkable career as both a writer and a director for Jordan Peele. We know he's a great writer, but this is definitely a complete left turn at Albuquerque where it completely is different from everything else he's done in the past. And you will not be disappointed if you check this film out. For me, the biggest takeaway was that it proved what I've been saying for years. And that is that T is evil. <laughs> There's a, that's another thing that I, that I, I've kind of thought about and I've seen people write about it is, is that the way that Catherine Keener's character hypnotizes people is she stirs her tea. And did you realize there's that one scene where Georgina overflows the lemonade or whatever she's pouring? And did you realize what was happening when she overflowed it? Catherine Keener was, was stirring her tea and she accidentally hit the side of her cup. And so mm -hmm. I, it's like Georgina was momentarily hypnotized and that's why she spilled the tea um, at that point. And we should mention Betty Gabriel, who plays Georgina. There's that scene up in Chris's room where she's talking to him, where you can see, after you know what's going on, the actual human trying to overcome the grandma in her mind. And she's just like, she's saying, she's saying, I think she's saying, no, there's no, 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 no. But you can see in her eyes and she's crying and she's trying to communicate something and she just can't. That was an unbelievably well acted scene. Yes, the whole entire the entire cast. Um, you know, there's a few that you mentioned that were well known, but not all of them have done a lot of stuff. The main guy, what's his name? His name is Daniel Kalua. He um, know him from um, Black Mirror. Yeah, he's in like the second episode of Black Mirror. He's also um, done a number of movies. You know, the Kick-Ass movie. He was in Sicario, which you and I both hated. Um, but he is currently filming Black Panther for Marvel. Right now, um, he plays one of the Black Panther's comrades, so to speak. So, yeah, he's fantastic. Also, stupid thing to focus on in this day and age, but 
accent flawless he's british <laughs> yeah they're all british like come on man we can't find we can't find actors <laughs> who are american to play these parts nope. starting to get a complex hey samuel jackson <laughs> did he say that does he have a problem he with did. that he did no i'm actually kidding he said the slavery experience is 100 percent american and they should have found an american actor to play that role i uh, i think there's probably a, a... i don't know if that's something to be proud of but... yeah i mean that's a, there's a, there's probably a legitimate conversation to be had there but that being said he is really damn good in this movie what do they know i'm black should they you might wanna you know mom and dad my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend i just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man <laughs> i ain't never seen you like this before bro meeting family and Taking road trips, don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> so look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how are you not scared of this, man? Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Yo! If there's too many white people, I get nervous. <laughs> no. No. No, 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 no. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Next up, we're going to discuss the new NBC sitcom Trial and Error. The first episode aired this past Tuesday, and the show stars John Lithgow, Nick Diagosto, Stephen Boyer from Broadway's Hand of God, one of my all-time favorite Broadway uh, actors also from the TV show Smash, Krista Rodriguez, Glee's Jayma Mays, and the always hilarious Sherry Shepard. The show is filmed like a mockumentary that is chronicling the murder trial in which Lithgow's character, Larry Henderson, which of course immediately made me think of Harry and the Hendersons, is accused of murdering his wife. Jen, what I immediately thought of when watching, because of the style, was a cross between making a murderer and the office, but I've seen some people compare it more to Parks and Rec because of the Midwestern setting and the weird collection of characters. You were much more knowledgeable about sitcoms and real crime shows, which this obviously parodies. So, like Get Out, you watched the pilot of Trial and Error. That's all either of us have seen. We decided just to watch that. So what were your thoughts on this show, and will it make you overcome your hatred for the National Broadcasting Company? I was in, in the first five seconds, when <laughs> um, he didn't let go of the dog leash. I was in. I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, this is 100% a parody of the documentary The Staircase. It has facts from the actual case. John Lithgow looks like Michael Peterson. And I know you don't know what I'm talking about, Not so let me elaborate. Yes. Okay, so The Staircase it was um, a 10-part documentary back in 2004, and it is a profile of the murder trial of Michael Peterson, who was a novelist, and they found his wife dead at the bottom of a staircase. And later in the trial... They found out that his first wife had also been found dead at the bottom of a staircase, do, do, which do. is also brought up in Trial and Error. And it just takes kind of on a life of his own as as they discover later on in the trial that he was having an affair with um, men. So he was actually gay and parts of his family who supported him at first started to take the other side and decide he was guilty. So this is a 100 percent parody of that. And I knew it right away. Good to know. I they, didn't know even they even mention they even mention 
the and we'll get to the characters in a second, but the the one the main investigator dude, he mentions that there's a he has a bird theory that maybe a bird hurt her. Mm-hmm. In the staircase, there is literally activist groups that are convinced mm-hmm. that this woman was killed by owls. So oh, really? <laughs> I one hundred percent it is one hundred percent based on the staircase. Wow. That being said, I do hate NBC, but this is so good. Like for a pilot, especially to establish that many characters right away, I'm immediately like attracted to all these characters. Sherry Shepard has like <laughs> all these weird little ailments. And one of the things is, is that she laughs at inappropriate moments. And so every once in a while, the lawyers will mention something horrifying and you just hear her giggling in the background. And it's such a, a subtle little character trait that is already established. So, I mean, uh, and John Lithgow, does does he do any wrong? No, I he's mean, the he best. I mean, he's literally no the best. Well, and like so, you said, it's so hard. And one of the, We've talked about this before. It's so hard for sitcom pilots to land because so much about what's funny is being a part of that shared universe and understanding the connections and having the history. That's why shows tend to get better the longer they run in that first season and the beginnings are kind of bumpy. This one was hysterical from the beginning and you're right. They It was because of these characters. You've got Sherry Shepard's character who is there, uh, the secretary for the investigation. Not only does she have this condition that makes her laugh at inappropriate times? She also is face blind, so she doesn't recognize anybody. So, like, her boss walks in the door every time she says, hi, how can I help you? And it's literally her boss. She also is dyslexic, which makes it really funny at times. Not that dyslexia is funny, but the way they play it is the main investigator, which you mentioned, who's played by Stephen Boyer from Hand to God on Broadway. He is this disgraced former police officer who is just a funny good old boy Hilljack. Um, I have to say that he had that one scene where he said he was going to test the suicide theory and just kept running into plate glass. When I I think I rewound that six times. I, it's so good. Krista Rodriguez plays John Lithgow's daughter, kind of. It's adopted daughter. We haven't seen a whole lot from her, but she kind of plays a character that Krista's played a lot in the past. Kind of the edgy, hip, cool girl. She's really into what she's getting her massage therapy degree right now or something so that's really funny i think i think she is his daughter but the dead body wasn't her mother I, no, she actually says that larry adopted her when she was five at the in that same scene which the 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 murder victim was not her mother larry adopted her when she was five so okay so still she's been his daughter for most of her life they also nick d'agosto is the main character he is a lawyer who's sent out from the high-priced attorney that John Lithgow's in-laws obtained for him. So he's there just to kind of prep the the case and everything for his high-profile boss to come out and actually do the defense. Things happen, as Jen kind of alluded to, where that forces him to take over the case. But he's just kind of, he's the straight man um, in this. Jayma Mays from Glee, she plays the district attorney who's opposing him. She's um, leading the... Um, the prosecution, she is very much looking to run for district attorney, and she's very, you know, kind of staunch about what she does, but she's also got some really fun quirks as well. I thought this was great. Jen, I've heard, I mentioned the comparison between The Office or Parks and Rec. Does it fit with 
in that genre of mockumentary? Does it have any comparisons to either of those shows, one more than the other, or any of the other type of sitcoms in that genre that you often watch? It did only in the um, the camera mugging, um, which is one of my favorite parts of The Office is when, you know, Jim Halpert would look at The Office when or the camera when something someone would say something weird. And I think Josh, the main lawyer, is going to have a lot of those moments because he had a few in in this. And then conversely, John Lithgow kind of uses the the cameras to check himself, you know, like when he says something inappropriate, he clarifies it, remembering that the cameras are there. And um, so that reminds me a lot of The Office. I can see the Parks and Rec comparison for like the, you know, straggly group of, you know, funny people with situational comedy situations, for lack of a better word. But I mean, I feel like it's it stands on its own. You know, it, it's not the new anything. It's just something new. It's got a great cast. And if NBC keeps this up, like with The Good Place and now this, you know, I hope that they're heading in a better direction that they've been in the last like 10 years. Yeah. And you you tried, I think, and then didn't enjoy Superstore. I really love Superstore. I think it's hilarious. Um, and it's very much in the the workplace comedy variety that actually has something smart and unique going on so it, that one might not be for you but when you mix that in with those two you know this show and the good place um they're definitely starting to reestablish themselves as a sitcom destination having been far surpassed by cbs in terms of viewership and abc in terms of relevance uh, in recent years Okay, so that is two thumbs up for Trial and Error. I'm so excited to kind of watch and see how this show develops, because I have a feeling there's going to be lots of weird twists and turns, but then also to see how it's received, because this is a show that I I think is going to do really well, and I'm, I'm really optimistic that it does, because there are so many great stars who aren't really household names, and there's some obviously some theater folks as well, so that makes me really excited. So check out... Uh, Trial and Error on NBC on Tuesday nights. 911, what's your emergency? It's my wife. I think she might be dead. No. Call waiting. I need to grab that. It's the cable company. I've been waiting for them all day. There's blood everywhere. I, I just really need to take this. I was waiting for the cable guy to show. I came back inside and I found Margaret dead. We'll get into all that before you testify on the stand. Icing on the cake? Cable guy never showed. Or maybe you won't take the stand. A murder trial is a great opportunity for me. I get my own team in office. We're next door to a taxidermist? The victim was killed by going through a plate glass window. What could have happened based on the evidence? Fire away. Suicide! That was my first thought, too, but I tested the theory. Ah! All right, Jen, at this point, we wanted to talk a little bit about some national tours that you and I have seen. We don't often talk a tremendous amount of theater, although theater always seems to permeate itself into um, our discussions on TV and movies and other things. So we wanted to just hit some national tours that we've seen here in the last few months. You have been going to a little bit more theater than normal. um, And I've seen uh, the tours that have come through central Florida. So Jen, why don't you lead us off with one or two of the shows that you've seen that you've really enjoyed recently? Um, I've seen two. I've seen Finding Neverland and Fun Home, which could not be more vastly different. 
Finding Neverland, I have never in my life come close to leaving a show at intermission. And this is probably the closest I've ever come. It was so awful. Um, but boy, did the women behind us love it. So that was um, more entertaining than when, when what was on stage. Um, they sure were impressed that people dressed in black made it look like the children were flying as they were carrying them. So, you know, good for them. Happy they enjoyed it. Uh, I did not. Fun Home I saw a few weeks ago. Obviously, t- 2015 Tony winner, breaking a lot of barriers. First time, I believe, women Correct. creators won Tony's. It's first time that an entire female writing team has won for best score. So obviously it's well done. It's very powerful. It's very well constructed. I am not the audience for it. It I didn't feel anything. The people surrounding me were sobbing and obviously it really got to people. I'm so happy that it it makes such a powerful impact to people. It's just not my type of thing. So Probably controversial and um, <laughs> a little bit. A little, I'm not trying to be, and I'm trying to be edgy. I'm not saying it's bad. It's very well done. It's just not for me. I just it reminded me of Next to Normal, which I can't stand. Uh, um, this was at least like the kids in it were great. They do this little number, um, "Welcome to the Fun Home," and it was adorable. But I it just it just didn't strike any chords with me. But I'm very happy for the people that it did. The the big name in the Fun Home Tour is former Miss America, current Actors' Equity president Kate Schindel, who you think of, she's a, literally a beauty queen, and you don't really think of her in the role of the adult Alison Bechtel, who is this super butch lesbian cartoonist. How did you feel about someone who is known as this tall, statuesque beauty playing this unassuming butch part how did she do with that allison's role in it isn't big um she's She's narrator narrator. she's yeah so the only other thing i've seen her in is legally blonde and so she i mean she was great but she's not the star i mean the star is the father the star is the, the kids so i didn't really notice her should I say? But the girl that played the middle, like there's a uh, three actresses, one mm-hmm. that plays their young um, and college age. And then, you know, Allison modern day. Well, ish. Um, but the middle girl, the college girl was phenomenal. Uh, I thought she was the, the best performance of the show. Interesting. Okay. That's one that I'm really excited to, like, I want to see. It's not coming through Orlando either this season or next season, but I'm hoping maybe see it in Tampa. Cause it's, I feel like, it's one of those shows that I should see. Um, I'm not sure that I'll like it any more than you will. Um, but it's one that I feel like I, as a theater lover and a theater professional, I feel like I should see it at least. So I'm optimistic to be able to see it when it comes through Tampa later this year. So, and please know, I, I 100% recommend it. <laughs> okay. Good. Fair, yeah. No, I, you didn't dislike it. It just wasn't for you. And that's, Correct. there's nothing wrong with that. Another show I did want to ask you about, you saw the 20th anniversary tour of Rent. And that is one, it is a non-equity tour, so generally I just kind of avoid those because they're generally bad. But you, being the diehard Rent fan that you are, I know that you have very high standards for this show, and you loved this, did you not? I did. It was in January of 2017. I did love it. Um, You were the one that told me it was a non-equity tour. I didn't even know it. They were fantastic. Um, The Roger was one of the best Rogers I've ever seen, and I've seen the production close to, if not over 20 times. 
they were all very young and you get this like energy from non-actors like I'm you know I, they still have that drive and think that their dreams are going to come true <laughs> but I the energy was palpable and because it's so well known now you you get standing ovations in the middle of a show you know there's moments where you know people are hooting and hollering after um out tonight you know she walks out and everyone goes nuts and they it was just so enjoyable um I just walked, I was just really, really happy. Uh, the best moment I went with my friend Jenna and I, I really feel like we're the only two people that saw this happen because no one else talked about it. And I feel like we should have talked about it, but a drunk old woman walked on stage Wait, what? <laughs> in, in the middle of Angel's funeral. Like nobody said anything, but this drunk old woman stood up, walked down to the front of the theater, walked in front of the audience and walked up on stage and four ushers raced up after her and no one spoke of it. And Jenna and I are to this day convinced that we were the only two people that saw it. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. It was just a really fun and it was an angel's funeral. We're like crying and like yeah. invested and we're like, we what's happening? It was just a God, you know, live theater. You can't beat it. No. Uh, that rent tour is coming through Central Florida in June of 2018, so I've got to wait a while uh, to see that one. I'm very excited about that. Is the staging? Is it? Is it the original staging? Is it similar? Are things changed? Because it is the 20th anniversary tour, so are they using Michael Greif's original staging and, and sets and all that kind of stuff? Yes, it was 100% the same. Okay, very cool. I'm optimistic uh, that that it'll continue to be just as good after I'm assuming they replace the cast by the time I see it a year and a half from now. But the, the three tours that I've seen here in, in this calendar year started off in January seeing the Wicked National Tour starring the phenomenal Jessica Vosk. I've seen Wicked three times now, never in New York. I saw the original Chicago sit down. I saw the tour in Atlanta, and now I've seen the tour here in Orlando. Jessica Vosk is the best Elphaba that I've ever seen. And I would put her up there with Adina, with Stephanie J. Block, with Eden Espinoza, um, with, with all of them. She is unbelievable. That voice is ridiculous. I have no idea how long she's going to be in the tour. I would not be surprised if she gets bumped up to the New York company here at some point, uh, because she is just that good. And she has a really strong following amongst the theater diehards, so I think she would be a very popular alphabet in New York. But if Wicked is coming to town and Jessica Vosk is there, she is worth the price of admission just by herself. I think they're in Schenectady right now, uh, but they did three weeks here in Orlando. They did a month in Tampa, so they are doing long runs still at every tour stop, um, so good for them. I also saw A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Jen, have you seen that one? I never have, no. My roommate just went and saw it in Orange County. And he enjoyed it, right? Oh, he loved it, but he's a 75-year-old man. Not literally, mentally. Yes, because he's younger than like both of us, right? Yes, he's 28, I want to say. Okay. So I also loved A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. And to be honest, I did not expect to. I knew I've decided to marry you from the Tony performance. But everything else was just kind of like, eh, it's okay. But I really found it incredibly charming. It's not a show that you're going to leave like humming all the work, all, all the songs and remembering all of those things. But there's a, a few things I left humming. It was just a really charming show, and I really, really enjoyed it. The current tour is closing. They're going to relaunch another tour, which I'm assuming is going to be non-equity. But it's a really tight show, and if it's done well, I think it's really, really entertaining. 
I also recently saw just this past week, you can check out my review on Broadway World, for the Fifth Avenue Theaters. It's not technically a tour, I think for contractual reasons, but it's a special engagement of The Little Mermaid, which is going around the country. The Little Mermaid, as a film, really reinvented the movie musical and made Disney back to being the kings of animation. The stage show, not nearly as consequential, but it's still really fun. Uh, They do some really creative things with staging. The flying was the best flying I've ever seen in a show, um, mainly because of how well they used the lighting to hide the wires. Um, So I really enjoyed it. It was just silly and fun. It really wasn't anything beyond that. But if you get to see the Fifth Avenue Theater's uh, special engagement in your town. Um, it's definitely one, especially if you're a um, if you're a, a diehard fan of Disney movie musicals. You should probably check it out. So, Jim, do you have any plans to see any of the other tours coming to town here in the near future? I think you got the season package, didn't you? I did. Um, obviously, for Hamilton, it was the only way to guarantee tickets. Next is an American in Paris, I believe. Mm-hmm. Followed by The Bodyguard, the musical. So I will definitely report back on both of those because I have no idea what to expect. Um, I did not see American in Paris was here in Orlando in December. I I skipped that one. Um, So I didn't see that. It's very much a dance heavy ballet show. Bodyguard, the musical. I just I just can't. Um, I'm going to be seeing Matilda in May as it comes through. And then in June, your favorite Finding Neverland is coming and I can't wait to hate that show. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on that. When I never say that to you. No, it's going to be awful. Um, but Hamilton is coming to Orlando in the 2018-2019 season. So hopefully, at least by then, I'll see it if I don't see it before. So, yay to national tours. I've decided to marry you. I've decided to marry you. I've decided though Henry's gone, that life goes on for me. I have thoroughly thought it through. And the man that I want is you. Quite a few who strongly disagree. Nonetheless, I will marry you. I confess that I'm frightened too. But unless I am wrong, you long for love as much as I. This is quite a conventional, I'll admit. But why should that matter a whit? And if you do not say yes at once, I think I'll die. Okay, Jen, here real quick, we're going to do, I I really enjoyed the segment we did last time where we did rapid fire recommendations. We just took two minutes. I put a clock on it. We gave two or three sentences about TV shows, movies, anything else that have been recently released uh, that we wanted to encourage people to see. Um, I've got a handful of things and I think you do as well. So I'm going to get a clock here ready. We're going to run through as many of these things as we can. Um, and then I'll give you a cutoff. We'll let whoever's talking when two minutes is up, we'll let them finish, and that'll be that. All cool on the rules there? All cool. All right. So, Jen, you can begin in three, two, one. Love Season 2, which started yesterday, March 10th, available on Netflix, starring Paul Rust and Gillian, Gillian Jacobs. And I really enjoyed Season 1. You said you didn't really care for it, but I think you should go, go back and try it. And um, I'm halfway through Season 2. Very cool. Um, I'm going to recommend Table 19, which is a film that has gotten really not good critical reviews, but it is from the Duplass brothers, Mark and Jay Duplass, wrote it along with director Jeffrey Blitz. It stars the wonderful Anna Kendrick. She is the former um, maid of honor at her friend's wedding. She breaks up with the bride's brother, 
and it sends her off to this table of rejects at table 19. What's great about this film is that you think it's a very traditional, safe rom-com. It is anything but. It is much more about friendship and embracing what makes you different. It is a great film, great cast. Craig Robinson, June Squibb, Lisa Kudrow, Stephen Merchant, um, Wyatt Russell, um, Goldie Hawn, and Kurt Russell's son. It's a really, really great film. Highly recommend. Once again, not adhering to the two sentence rule. Um, it's the 20th anniversary of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh. All seven seasons are on Netflix. Highly recommend a rewatch. I am in season six of my rewatch, and it still holds up. Awesome. Love that. I'm going to re-recommend something I negatively recommended on the last episode. I told you not to watch Powerless. I'm taking that back. I watched the first two episodes. They were hot garbage. The third episode was fantastic. Episodes four and five were very strong. I take it back. I apologize. Mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I'm going to recommend the podcast Missing Richard Simmons. Um, Uh. He hasn't hasn't been seen in public for four years. A friend of his has decided to get to the bottom of it. I thought I'd listen to it for fun. I am so sucked in. It is so good. We're going to have to talk about this. Um, But the final thing I'm going to recommend, because I've only got five seconds left, Angie Tribeca Season 2 is now on Hulu. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. It's bizarre. It's weird. We've talked about this show. Season 3 debuts debuts on TBS on April 10th. Jen, we're going to have to talk about, I have major, major issues with that Richard Simmons podcast. I I think there's so many ethical uh, problems with it, um, but we'll save that for another day. Okay. Oh, and we got a lot to celebrate today. Hey, do y'all want to dance your pants off? Do you want to dance your pants off? Just clap your hands and move your legs. We're going to sweat. We're going to dance. We're going to have such a good time. We're going to melt those palms away. Get those hands started and just start your feet. What is it? Yahoo! So... Now we're going to close out the show with Show and Tell, where Jen and I auditorily show you something and tell you why it is important. Jen, why don't you kick us off with your Show and Tell? Well, uh, today we are recording this on Saturday, March 11th, and it is time for Daylight Saving Time. Saving, not savings. Correct Ugh. yourselves. Saving. <laughs> Correct yourself or you're going to wreck yourself. Anyhow... I hate daylight saving time. It is stupid. And it was never summed up better than last year at this time when my dear, dear um, comedian idol, John Oliver, did a segment on his show called Daylight Saving Time. How is this still a thing? Last week tonight asks, how is this still a thing? This week, daylight saving time. How is this still a thing? If you're like most Americans, you've been groggy all day after losing an hour of sleep to daylight saving. And as you struggle to remember how to change the clock on your f***ing microwave, you may have wondered, why is this happening? For years, conventional wisdom has been that it benefits one particular group. I know it started because of farmers, I'm almost sure of that. But that's not actually true. It gives them extra time to plant, extra time to harvest. It has nothing to do with farmers. I remember years ago hearing that it was for the farm people. The farm people want nothing to do with this, as they themselves will tell you. I know really no farmer that I'm aware of that benefits from, from you know, actually farm activities and daylight saving time. Of course daylight saving doesn't benefit farmers. 
Cows don't care what time it is because they're cows, and cows are idiots. So if it's not for them, who is it for? The modern daylight saving was introduced during the First World War as a fuel-saving measure by the Germans. That's right. You lost an hour of sleep this morning thanks to Kaiser Wilhelm. Awesome. Everything John Oliver does is pure, brilliant, and gold. For my show and tell, people who listen to me on Broadway Radio or follow my stuff on uh, on Broadway World, you know that um, a friend of mine named Patty Murin, who participates in a lot of our predictions thing, we smoked her in the Oscar, Oscar predictions. She is, even though she's not allowed to discuss it, she is playing Princess Anna in the Frozen musical that will be making its world premiere in Denver before going to Broadway in the spring of 2018. She has been doing all of the labs along with Betsy Wolf, who is who has been playing Elsa. It was recently reported that Betsy Wolf has been replaced with Casey Levy, um, who is going to be playing Elsa in this spring lab before the eventual Denver production. I love Betsy Wolf. She is one of my favorites, but I've never really loved her voice singing Let It Go. She is just she's just too good. It's just too safe because her voice, when she hits those belty notes, it's just perfectly in her range, and it's too pretty, and it's too operatic. However, Casey Levy is... I've seen the video of her kind of singing Let It Go, and it is perfect. So that's my show and tell. What it is, it's part of the Broadway Princess Party, which is organized by everyone's favorite Broadway princess, Laura Osnes. She, Casey Levy, mashes up Let It Go, along with the Beatles classic Let It Be. It is hilarious, and her belt on this song is so good. It is so perfect. I am incredibly excited not only for patty because she's a friend and i think it's high time that she gets another um, huge role on broadway after lissa jones either five or six years ago now um but casey levy singing let it go and let it be is fantastic so check out a little bit of that here i wake up to Let it go, that perfect girl. 
and one of the things I love about the Broadway Princess Party is that um, the music director for the Broadway Princess Party, he plays the piano for all of it. <laughs> Laura Osnes, who played Cinderella on Broadway, refers to him as her fairy god fairy, which I think is really kind of funny and cute. But anyway, Casey Levy, going to be Elsa on Broadway. Okay, thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World Something Like a Thought Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Something Like a Pop. Also, do what you do as a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast, and go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and rate and review us, please, and thank you. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the shows, movies, national tours, and topics that we discuss every week. Until next time, we'll see you around the Broadway world. On this episode, we're going to talk about Jordan Peele's directorial debut with the sociological... Sociological? Oh, well. On this episode... Sociological. Yeah, okay. <laughs> On this... Yeah, he was in the very first episode of Black Mirror. He was also... Again. What's that? The second. Was it the second? I thought it was the very first episode of Black Mirror. The online one? When he was on the bike? Yeah, that's not the first one. Episode two.